express his life through you. Like that is, that is about as amazing as you could possibly come up with. Here's some good news. Jesus did not just come to forgive you and send you on your way with a little bit of help here and there. He came to begin a whole new race of people who would share his life and express it to the planet. Guys, this was and still is radical. So we're in a series on the book of Galatians called The Gospel of Grace, and we're in part two here. I'm going to zero in on one verse of chapter two today. In order to do that, we're going to be looking at the book of John. You're like, how is this happening? I don't know. This is just how it came to me. So you guys ready to learn about Galatians through the book of John? All right, here we go. So turn with me to John chapter 14. This is Jesus with his disciples before the, the night before his crucifixion. A few years back, Jesus had said, come follow me. And so they left everything. They're following him. They're day by day, hour by hour, listening to his teachings, hanging on his every word, putting these things into practice the best they can. And so they'd watch Jesus heal the sick. He was their teacher. And they're learning from Jesus the same way that a lot of the other uh, disciples of other rabbis did. They would watch the rabbis. They would listen to the teachings. And they would try to put into practice what the rabbis were saying. Guys, this is where so much of the church is today. They're trying to follow Jesus' teachings. They're listening to his teachings and trying to put them into practice. Jesus comes and shatters this paradigm. He says, listen, it's not going to be like those other rabbis where you just listen and you try real hard to put these things into practice. Here's John chapter 14. Jesus blows their minds. He's speaking. these. They had to confuse them so much. I mean, this is such a new idea. John 14, 20. In that day, you shall know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. I mean, they had to be thinking, how can this person who is sitting in front of us, going to, we're going to be in him, he is going to be in us, somehow we're all going to be in, in the Father. I mean, there was no category for their wildest imaginations to kind of put this, into, put, the, put this into place. They couldn't contain this idea. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you an illustration. So in the next chapter, John, John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things if you try really hard. No, that's actually not what it says. For apart from me, you can do? And in the Greek word, the word nothing means? There we go. Powerful lessons here. I am the vine, you are the branches. A lot of times when you hear people speaking of the vine and the branches, they talk like they can be separated. It's not like a tree where you've got the trunk, you've got the branches, you've got the fruit. Okay. When you speak about a vine, it takes in everything. The vine is the branches. The vine is the leaves and the flowers and the buds and the fruit. The vine is the whole thing, okay? So when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branch, you see, he's saying, I am everything and you are part of everything that I am, okay? The life of the vine is what causes the life in the branch. The life that's flowing through the vine is the exact same life that's flowing through the, life of the, is flowing through the branch, it's not like, okay, Jesus has got his life, and you kind of got like this inferior, secondary kind of life that gets diffused down. No, 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 no. The same life that's flowing through the vine is the same life that's flowing through the branch. The same life that's flowing through Jesus is the same life that's flowing through you and me. We are actually participating in his very life, not some junior kind of life. How are we doing? So when Jesus calls us branches... Um, he's showing our inability to produce fruit by ourselves, okay? A branch severed from a vine, it can't produce a leaf, it can't produce a flea. I mean, you, you could have that branch sitting there grunting as hard as it can, trying to, trying to squirt out. A, you can't do it if it's severed apart from the vine. It's the life of the vine that flows through the branch that produces the fruit. Here's the thing, guys. When a, vine, when a branch is united to the vine, it can do things that it can't do on its own, Okay? The branch actually gets to produce fruit. It can't do that apart from the vine. So imagine that I had a steel sword here. One time I did this illustration with an actual steel sword. 
How many of you guys were there the first time I did that illustration? I almost chopped my finger off. Yeah. And so the uh, yeah, so this person for some reason someone had a sword at church. They were one of those churches where just on a random Sunday someone might just have a sword. And so they had this metal sword, and I said, "Hey, I'm gonna use that for an illustration." <laughs> and the last thing he said was, "Don't chop your finger off." I was like, "Ho ho ho!" And so um, and so I had this sword. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the illustration I'm about to do to you. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, "I wonder how sharp this thing is." And it didn't look very sharp, you know. And so um, you know how you like you go like perpendicular to the th- the blade. I was like. Oh, that's not really that sharp, you know? And so I don't know what I was thinking. As I'm doing it, I slid my finger down the other way of the blade, and it just cuts into my finger. And I'm standing there bleeding, you know, trying not to freak out. People didn't know whether to pray or, like, put, hit pressure points. And so, oh, Lord. I, I, I don't think our video was as good as it is now, or that would be like a giant meme going on around, like, Pastor, you know, so... But imagine I had a steel, the, store, the staff won't even let me around a letter opener anymore. It's, it's embarrassing. So imagine I had a steel sword. You know what? I could take this steel sword and I could plunge it into the fire. You know what? So the, uh, the fire is still the fire and the, sword is, the steel is still the sword, right? They don't become each other. But that fire can interpenetrate every molecule of that, of that steel sword. And now this steel sword can do things that steel swords can't do. If I were to touch it to a piece of wood... It would scorch it and maybe even burn it, even though swords can't do that. The sword takes on the characteristics of the fire because the fire has penetrated it. Listen, you and I have been joined to Jesus Christ, and his presence has penetrated every cell of your being. You are still you, and Jesus is still him. You don't become God, and he doesn't become you. But you become interpenetrated with his life. And when a, vine, when a branch is connected to a vine, it can do things it can never do on its own. It can produce impossible fruit that it can't do apart from the vine. Jesus is saying to the believer, you don't just have this independent existence where every so often you get help when you pray. He's saying, no, you have a nonstop source of life that you can tap into at any moment and do impossible things on a regular basis. Guys, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. I think when we think of impossibilities, we think of like raising the dead, healing the sick, but we don't think of like having patience with a two-year-old. It's all impossible. <laughs> the best feeling you can ever have is the helplessness of being a branch. Because when you're talking about being a branch, you're talking about dependence. You're not talking about this incredible strength you're feeling. No, no, no. You're helpless dependence. My whole attitude now is one of dependence. You're like, Jim, this doesn't sound very American. Like, this doesn't sound very, like, 21st century. Guys, this is biblical. You, the, the feeling that you ha- should have as a believer is one of dependence. Apart from the vine, I can produce nothing. Apart from the life of Christ flowing in me, I can do nothing of eternal value. Religion says, listen, you've got to do this. You've got to fast. You've got to pray. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to tithe on the gross and not the net. You've got to, you know. And um, uh, you've got to try to be like Jesus. WWJD. Man, what a cool bracelet. What bad theology. Basically, it says you should get in a situation and ask yourself, what would Jesus do, and then will yourself to do that? Well, you've lost the whole battle. That's religion. We get in there and we say, what would Jesus do? How did Jesus do it? He only did what he saw his father doing. He was abiding in his father, and the father was in him. So what do we do? We get to a situation, we invoke the presence of Jesus, and we recognize, I'm not in this by myself. Let's just take it like, let's say you're a plumber, and you're in a ditch, and there's sewage happening, Okay. And so you're in there, and you know what? It's never just you and the pipe. When you're in there, you don't have to do it in your own strength. You can invoke the presence of Jesus. God, I recognize that I'm with you, and I'm, I'm going to act as if. I'm going to expect wisdom. And I turn my attention towards him, and he begins to give ideas, and you know exactly how to fix this impossible situation. Do you guys know that Jesus is actually an expert on plumbing? 
He's an expert on being a hot dog vendor on the streets of New York. He's an expert on being a husband to your wife, a wife to your husband, a parent to your children, a friend, or an employer. Like, he's supreme over all creation. He's not good at just spiritual stuff. He's an expert in everything. So religion wants you to, uh, in your own willpower, try to be more like Jesus. Guess what? You can't. That's like the branch severed from the vine trying to produce fruit. It can't. It doesn't have the life flowing through it. We must learn to be utterly dependent, weak, and helpless. You guys ready for this new t-shirt slogan? Weak is the new strong. Paul's like, hey, when I recognized I was weak, that's when strength came. And I recognized his grace was sufficient for me. All right, this doesn't sound very American. When you're faced with a challenge, you will never face that situation in your own strength. Listen, guys, I don't care if it's the bill that needs to be paid, the doctors are poor, the child who's acting nuts, whatever it might be, your emotions, the addiction, whatever it might be, any situation that comes to you comes with the Christ in you. And you are never to look at your situation apart from Christ because God never does. This is good news. Whenever there's a temptation and you want to give in, guess what? That's not sin. That's you recognizing your branchness and realizing that Jesus was right. You know what? Without me, you can do nothing. You're recognizing your branchness. Maturing as a believer does not mean gradually we become so Christ-like that we're able to bear fruit on our own, and then Jesus will be proud of me. We will always be branches that are helpless apart from the vine life that flows through us. And when we feel our weakness, when we feel it's impossible to live like Christ, that's the way it should be, and that's the way it's always going to be. Those negative emotions you're feeling, well, lust, greed, anger, anxiety, whatever it might be, those are just simply an alert. You know what? Um, I'm operating on my own strength, and now I can recognize I can live in the strength of another. I want those feelings to go away. Welcome to branchness. You don't have to live in those feelings. But like I said, it becomes an alert. I wish there was an app on your phone like, you're operating in the flesh. <laughs> but that's why God gave us spouses, right? So <laughs> I recognize my weakness. I recognize my dependence. I choose to be present to the Christ in me. I recognize my weakness and his perfect strength for the situation. Even though I don't know what his perfect strength looks like, I can begin to step into it. And when I do this, his strength becomes my life. Paul spoke plainly this in Galatians, what's this a series on? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We're getting there. Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. One translation says, it is Christ expressing his life through me. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about that vine life expressing itself through our branchness. And so we're going to look at this from a couple different angles. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, one translation says, who infuses his strength into me. Can you guys see this, uh, this uh, coffee cup full of hot water that I have here? See, the staff won't even let me have hot water anymore. It's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's completely humiliating. But I've got this cup of, uh, of hot water, hot steaming water. Can you see this tea bag? What's your favorite tea? It's that one. Okay, no, no one likes tea. These are all coffee drinkers in America. They don't drink with their pinkies out here. We're Americans. All right. We like liquid cigarettes, coffee. Anyway, there we go. 
those negative feelings in result of that comment, that's your branchness. This is your opportunity <laughs> to let the life of Christ flow through you. All right? Can you see this hot steaming water here? And you can see this tea bag. So when I put the tea bag into the tea, something interesting happens. It's called infusion. And the strength of the tea leaves are infused into this lifeless, colorless, odorless water. So much so that it becomes a new kind of liquid that we now call tea. Now, the tea's still in the bag. The leaves are still in the bag. But it has become something new. Listen, guys, we have this lifeless, colorless life. And uh, the, the hotness of the water is our dependence on Jesus. And when we depend on him, the life of Christ is infused in us. We don't become him. He doesn't become us, but we can become a new race of being that is now possessed by God where his life can flow through us if we will turn our attention and depend on him. Boy, that's the good news. So how does this actually work out? How does the life of Christ actually manifest himself in our life? How does the life of the vine actually manifest in the branch? How does the tea get into the water? Let's talk about this. The key to life in Christ is you act as if. Thank you, Jim. That explains everything. Why don't you just close in prayer? No, we're going to explain this a little bit more, okay? Um, it means you're going to do something that you've never done before, so you don't have a history of it. You don't know what it looks like, okay? So you're going to act as if. So remember when Peter got out of the boat? Peter had gotten out, remember Peter got out of the boat and walked on water? You guys remember this story? There's lots of times Peter had gotten out of the boat and stepped on the dock, Right? He swung his, he had, had a history for what that looks like. He takes his foot out and swings and gets out on the dock. Now imagine you do that in your own mind. What are you thinking is going to happen? When you get out of that and do it on water, you're going to be doing some type of crazy splits exercise. Right? And so Peter swings his foot out there. He had no history for what this looked like, but he acted as if he could walk on water. All right? Thank you, babe. I appreciate that. And by babe, I mean my wife, for those of you watching online. Act as if equals faith. Peter had a very bad track record walking on water prior towards that. Um, so he's going to get out of the boat and act as if he can do something he knew he couldn't do in his own strength. So let's so talk about this in a couple different angles. So me with public speaking. So you guys uh, may not know this. I used to have a terrifying panic attack level fear of public speaking. The first time it came out was in seventh grade. We had to do an oral report. I did mine on Harry Houdini. And so I had like my little hat on. I had a little wand. I was doing this magic trick. And I was um, sitting on the front row, and I was sitting in a chair doing this trick, and my leg was tapping super fast. I was nervous, and my foot hit the uh, girl's foot in the front row, and I jumped and screamed and ran out of the room. <laughs> Teacher catches me in the hallway, says, if you don't do this report tomorrow, you're going to get an F. You're going to have to repeat seventh grade. I'm like, seriously? Repeat seventh grade over a stupid Harry Houdini? And so, um, so I go home. I practice. Dad's like, put chocolate in your mouth because my mouth was so dry. You know, somehow I make it through it. I went to eighth grade by some miracle of, of God's grace. So uh, when I get to college, anytime there was a teacher that called on a student, I would drop the class because I couldn't get words. I literally couldn't get words out. I have such a panic attack. And so in order to graduate from University of Michigan in the psychology department, we had to do a presentation to the other seniors. And so in order to graduate, it's Harry Houdini all over again. And so... Um, I did a report on Alzheimer's. I thought, well, if I bring in a bunch of like props, maybe it'll help in. I brought in like cow brains and all sorts of different stuff and, and pictures. And, uh, I, and when I got done, the, the, the professor's response was, well, at least you didn't faint. I'm like, oh, sheesh. <laughs> and so then uh, my, my friends had him for other classes, and they said, oh, he was telling people, oh, you should have seen this guy. He demonstrated Alzheimer's instead of taught on it. That's what he's talking about me behind my back. 
Oh yeah, it was bad. I got more stories than that. And so, um, so like, so here I am at Zion. And so my first, my first couple years, I'm in the bathroom before the, uh, you know, trying to not lose fluids. And so, um, I just felt sick every time. And I felt like I was doing something awesome for the Lord by giving him this nervousness. Like, and so, cause someone told me this lie, you should be nervous if you're not nervous. It's good to be nervous. It keeps you dependent on Jesus. And so I partnered with this lie, and I thought God was so pleased with this thorn in the flesh, with this nervous stomach and all the other stuff that goes with it. And so I got a sozo. One time we have a ministry here that helps you believe, uh, believe truth and expose lies. And, and the sozo, the Lord said, um, uh, nervousness and anxiety is not normal in my kingdom. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, he's like, how, well, and I'm like, well, Lord, what would you like to give me instead? He's like, how about peace? I'm like, that sounds amazing. Okay, so you got the promise of peace. It didn't just automatically, peace, peace. What I literally had to do is on the front row, I'd say, Lord, I'm recognizing I'm actually going to step into peace. I'm actually going to step into a teaching anointing. And I would walk up there as if it was going to be there. And you know what? When I got up there, I was fine. And so, yeah, I, I, still have to, I still have to do it at times. And so um, what did I do? I acted as if I wasn't going to be nervous, not because I, I some mic, psychological mind game. I recognized that God had peace for me, that he had promised me. Let's look at love. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 13, 34. Now, take that seriously. If this means by your own willpower you have to love your enemies, this may be the most terrifying verse in the New Testament. Oh, my goodness, how am I going to love my enemies? This person's got obnoxious personality disorder, which isn't a disorder, but it should be. Let's be honest. Listen, I know I can't love my enemies. You know you can't love my enemies. So I don't try to love my enemies because I know I can't. But I choose that I will love you, and I come in helpless dependence upon him who is my life. So it's not I who love, but Christ who loves through me. What am I doing? God, I choose to love them, and I act as if, and I, put, and I, I turn my attention towards him, and he gives me the love. He gives me the words. He gives me the patience. He gives me the ability to not slap. How are we doing? I'm going to act as if I have love for my enemies in some action, and whatever little that action that is, I act as if, and Christ in me makes it so I can. How about joy, John 15, 11? I told you we're going to teach, somehow we're going to teach Galatians through John. John 15, 11, Jesus said to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Guys, joy is a choice. Okay, joy is not happiness. Happiness depends on happenings, and when the happenings are good, it's easy to be happy, right? And so, um, but Jim, I feel unhappy, okay? You've told me about your feelings, which are directly related to happenings, past, present, or future, okay? You can be aware of your feelings, but that is not who you are. This is going to be revelatory for some of you. Your feelings are not the highest indicator of truth, okay? You get to live on a different thing. When you say, I feel, that I that feels also has Christ living on the inside of you. Okay, so your feelings are not the highest determiner. I can never think of just Jim. You can never think of just you having these feelings. But I want to be authentic. The authentic you is Christ at the center. Okay, you can never just think of just you. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Therefore, I choose that in Christ, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it feels odd because you're walking on water, and you've never walked this way before. You, every way you've ever done, you just operate out of feelings. You operate out of emotion. People treat you good, you treat, them, you treat them good. People treat you bad, you treat them bad. 
That's just how you do life. But now you're walking on water. You don't have any picture for this, and you're depending on Christ, and now there's a joy that's coming into your life because I've turned to him. I've made myself present to him. Jesus, you are my joy. Because you're in me, my joy can be complete. And now you're living out of holy emotions because Jesus is giving you his joy that you may be full. How are we doing? Want some more illustrations? Let's look at peace. John chapter 14, verse 27. I don't know what's happening here. Verse 27. Jesus said this to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So they've been following Jesus around for three years, learning from him. They think he's going to come and set up some earthly kingdom. It's going to be amazing. Jesus is like, hey, guys, I'm leaving. And I would even be like, oh, peace. Like, this is awesome. Like, like the happenings, like that's not a peaceful happening that you're learning, that your master is leaving and all that stuff. So my natural strength, I'm supposed to look to the future and worry. Guys, anyone who uh, re- watches the news in their right mind, you should be worried. That's why we don't watch the, uh, <laughs> the 10 Spies Network, right? That's why we don't watch uh, CNN, Chicken Noodle News. You can watch it enough to know which president is in there so we can pray for them. Okay, but like, don't get your emotional satisfaction from the news, all right? Because here's the deal, guys. I'm in Christ. Christ is in the Father, and the Father loves me in Christ. And so uh, we, can, we can pray without worrying, what shall we eat? What shall we, what shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You can live under the reality, nobody takes better care of me than Dad. Jesus gives you this supernatural peace that passes understanding. See, Christians aren't just peaceful. We have a supernatural peace from another realm that we walk in that may not make sense with our circumstances. But we have peace himself is living inside us. It's not like peace in a galaxy far, far away. Father, let, let it find me. Let, let, let it. No, 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 no. Peace lives on the inside of me. And as I turn my attention towards him in helpless dependence, and I say, Lord, I'm stepping into peace. Truth is, guys, it feels, it feels awkward. Okay? Sometimes it feels illegal. I'm not supposed to have peace like this. I'm not supposed to have joy. Like these circumstances around me are crumbling. For too long, Christians have been defined by this kind of vague niceness or decency. We're just supposed to be good citizens who keep their mouth shut and don't make trouble. And what we're talking about is the divine life of Christ reproduced in our human bodies, not just being nice people. Let's look at self-control. Some people act like it's their God-given right to lose their temper. Have you watched Facebook lately? Okay? How many of you ever heard the phrase righteous anger? Well, you know, I was being, uh, you know, it was righteous indignation. All anger feels righteous in the moment. <laughs> it always feels justified when someone violates your will to let them have it. And some people think it's a Christian virtue to let them have it. Oh, man, I let them. Ooh, that's really good, brother. Okay? <clears throat> well, if you didn't want me to yell, you shouldn't have said that to me, right? You shouldn't have pushed my buttons. I got some news for you. When you, uh, when you died in Christ, your buttons died with him. Dead, dead people don't have buttons. And so when you feel those phantom buttons being pushed, that's your trigger to say, you know what? I'm living out of my emotions. I, I can step into a different kind of realm, and I can actually respond with kindness and wisdom. doesn't mean you might not have some real words to say them, but it comes from a place of love rather than I'm going to shut your mouth. I mean, every political thing, they're not operating out of love. They're trying to like, do these one-liners that shuts the person up and makes them look like a complete fool. That's not kingdom politics. How are we doing? Someone does something genuinely offensive, those negative emotions are going to arise. That's your branchness. 
That's not sin at that point. Someone slaps you in the face, you're not going to be like, mm, I love you. Like, like those feelings are going to come on up in the inside, and that's why we present ourselves to Christ. They're ripping out his beard. He wasn't like, you're awesome, you're amazing. He drew from the strength of another realm. You immediately become present to Christ within you, and a self-control begins to rise up so you don't react and bite back. There is some marriage therapy right there. Okay, let's look at authority. Okay, um, we're talking about you are walking in the same authority over every sickness, every evil spirit, and every evil disease. When you're praying for the sick, it's very rarely you're going to feel like you're brimming with electricity. I think a lot of people are like, man, when I'm anointed, I am going, oh, like expecting the lights to dim, you know, like I'm going around shocking people and stuff like, like, eh. when I first started praying for the sick, I just saw myself doing it. And every once in a while, I could work up enough faith to squeeze out enough anointing to like have the headache go from like a level 10 to a five. Like, like okay, so, you know, I'm really trying hard, but I've come to realize it's not me laying hands on people, Right. It's me as a representative of Christ, and it's his authority flowing through me. Now, people tell us so much talk about my authority as a believer. Yeah, yeah, you, you do have authority as a believer, but it's a delegated authority. It's a Christ in you authority, not you getting all fat and sassy, snapping Z's at the demonic realm. How we doing? And because I recognize it's Jesus Christ laying hands on people through me. <laughs> All right, that snapping Z's was not in the uh, was not in the notes. But see, I stepped into this teaching anointing. I get to blame it on him now, right? I've come to realize it's not me laying my hands on people. It's Christ laying hands on people through me. And because of that, I expect to see results. I expect to see miracles. It makes a big difference. Now, to the person looking on the outside, it doesn't look any different, right? It's in me. It's in me and turning my attention, recognizing my branchness, recognizing my complete dependence on him. And the man, I'm expecting good things to happen. Guys, this is not something you try to attain. We are resting in his attainment. We're talking about the power of the resurrection being made real to us through the Holy Spirit, and 99% of the time, you ain't going to feel a thing. You look back, and you're like, wow, how did I go through that so peacefully? Wow, how did I have joy? It's oftentimes, it's looking back on it, you recognize God was carrying me through that. In the middle of it, you're not really feeling a whole lot sometimes. The emotions still feel like a branch. How could I ever be joyful? But you were. How could I forgive that person who didn't deserve it? You couldn't in your own strength, but you look back and you're like, wow, God, you helped me do that. John 15, 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're abiding in this reality. We're living in this. We're dwelling in this. We're staying connected to him. We're making our home in this reality that it's never just me alone. It's me and Christ or Christ in me, whatever the grammar is. We're making Christ our life. We're making him the center of everything we do. Guys, the task of a branch is almost laughably simple. Stay connected to the vine. That's it. When a branch abides, fruit is inevitable. When a branch is separated, fruit is impossible. I'll say it again. When a branch abides, fruit is inevitable. When a branch is separated, fruit is impossible. Listen, you cannot produce fruit on your own. Jesus is very clear about that. So uh, the, the question becomes, how much of your time are you aware of the Spirit of God, of Christ who lives within you? 
I'm going to use an illustration uh, from Malcolm Smith. I've adapted a little bit here. Perhaps you'll recognize how I adapted it here. Let's say I want to learn the game of table tennis. <laughs> Go to Barnes & Noble. I buy all the books I can that explain the game, the rules, showing me how the game is played. And for days and weeks, I pour over the books, memorizing the rules and strategies. I stand awkwardly in my living room, holding my arms in the positions as shown in the pictures. I'm now convinced I'm ready to play. So I buy my matching table tennis outfit and sweatbands, table tennis racket, get some ten table tennis balls, and I head down to the Plain City Spin and Smash Table Tennis Center, which the Zion tournament will be played in in two weeks. How we doing? <laughs> I quickly discover that in spite of all the hours I've spent studying the game, when it comes to playing, I stink. Ask me how I know. My muscles refuse to cooperate. The balls are flying everywhere, except the place I want them to go. Having made a total fool of myself, I slink off the court and return to my books. But every time I try to play again, it seems to get worse. In fact, the harder I try, the more tense I am and the worse my game gets. So I study past revivalists. I mean, I study the games of past table tennis players. I even go to Bethel. I mean, I go to the Olympics to watch the best in the world play. And when I come home, it's still obvious I do not know how to play table tennis. So I hire a coach who is a world champion. I listen to him and marvel at his ability. But when I try to do what he says and imitate his moves, something inside me refuses to cooperate. I've been trying to learn to play by the rules and the regulations, taking instructions from books and people. I gave it my best. I rededicated my efforts and commitment to put it all into practice. Now, I want you to use your imagination here. You ready for this? Let's suppose I can invite the coach to actually step inside of me. Inside my mind, my nerves, my muscles. He would be within me so he could think his thoughts in my head and let his muscles be my muscles. His memory of all his winning plays would be part of my memory and yet never take away from my personality and freedom of choice. I would be me and he would be himself, yet we would operate as one person. My part would be to give up trying to play table tennis and admit my helplessness. I would have to understand that if I insisted on trying to play, the champion within me would let me return to my bumbling and making a fool of myself. The two of us could not play at the same time. Standing on the court, freely admitting that I can't play, I choose to hand over to him. I present my body to him as an instrument for table tennis playing. He plays, but I'm choosing to let him, and I begin to, I begin to win all the games. My coach did not teach me to play the game. If questions, I would have to say, the coach is my game. I now find myself doing everything the books had told me to do, everything the rules had demanded, and my coach had ever taught me, but I'm doing it not in my own ability, but resting in my coach, who is the books and rules wrapped up in a person. So Christ, by his spirit, lives within us. We present our bodies to him, we rest in him, and we let him play the game of life by his spirit through us. It's one uh, leap of faith that declares he is my life and then thousands of decisions along the day that continually present ourselves to him, enjoying him, abiding in him, fellowshipping with him, and enjoying him. And as we do that, his life flows through us. You face an impossible situation, that's just a trigger to present yourself to God. A situation at home that you can't stand coming home to, a sinful habit you can't seem to break, a sickness where there is no hope, difficult uh, person, a lack of provision, from your heart says, Jesus, I cannot, but you can, so let's go. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You're never apart from him. 
So with God, all things are possible. Let's close listening to uh, Galatians 2.20 in the Passion Translation. My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me. Listen to this phrase. Dispensing his life into mine. Let's stand for closing prayer. How we doing? That was good news, wasn't it? Who knows John would teach us so much about Galatians, so who knows? I'm going to prophesy to you, but it's not really a prophesy. prophecy. You guys ready for this? You will have an opportunity to put this into practice before you lay your head on the pillow. <laughs> you will have a negative emotion, a negative person, a combination of the two, a triple threat, a demonic attack. You will have an opportunity to... Maybe even get ticked off in the parking lot at somebody who cuts you off. There may be somebody who doesn't say hi to you at the church. There may be somebody sitting in your chair right now. This is your chance. Here's what I want you to do, guys. This week, uh, here's your homework assignment. You're going to have those triggers come up, and I want you to just say this phrase, now's my chance. Now's my chance. And every time you say no to that negative emotion, every time you say no to that lustful thought, every time you choose joy instead of depression, every time you choose self-control instead of yelling at the kids, you step into the kingdom and his kingdom spreads a little farther in Columbus, Ohio. So Lord, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you're not in a galaxy far, far away, but you're as close as the air that we breathe. And today, Lord, we just recognize We've got a chance to live in that power, that holy power that's not our own. Guys, let's just, uh, just before the Lord, let's just recognize our branchness. Just whatever that looks like before you and the Lord, just recognize, God, I, I can't do this in my own strength. Just between you and the Lord, just admit your helpless dependence. Thank you, Lord. Now let's thank him for his strength. Lord, I just thank you that even though we're helpless, that the life of the vine flows into the branch. We have access to all things pertaining to life and godliness. We're not left to do this in our own strength. So Lord, this week I pray you would bring these things to our mind and that they, we would step into it and live a different kind of life and leave a different kind of legacy for our kids, for our city, for our coworkers, for our friends. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so, uh, so say these three words with me. Now's my chance. One more time. Now's my chance. All right, our, work, our uh, prayer team's coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. We'd love a chance to minister to you if you need some extra prayer for healing, need an encouraging word. Um, Jamil, I forgot to have that. You know, Jamil, come on up here. He's got, let's just, before we go, you got time for a.